What's up, Life Point Church? How you guys doing today? Come on, you glad you came to church? What a great day. Man, praise the Lord. Welcome, welcome. My name is Mike Burnett. My wife Stephanie and I are so honored to serve this church as pastors here. And it is so good to be with you in person. I've been watching on screen online the last few weeks. And uh, thank you for the opportunity to uh, get some time away. And what a blessing that's been. But it is so good to be with all of you guys today. If this is your first time with us, we want to say a special welcome to you. We love having first-time guests. Can we give it up for our guests one more time today, everybody? Come on. Thank you, Lord. We're glad you're here. Also to everyone joining us at our Austin P State University campus as well as those who are joining us online. We love being one church in a lot of places and so thank you for joining us today. Hey, as always, I wanna say thank you for being a generous church. Your giving is always making a difference no matter how you give, whether it's online in the mail or through checks in the boxes at either of our locations in the lobby. We wanna say thank you, thank you, thank you. In fact, we are a church that believes in bringing tithes, the first 10% of our income to the Lord and giving offerings beyond that. And your generosity uh, goes beyond our church. In fact, just last week, we were able to send right under 200 students, middle school, high school, and leaders, and your giving help make this happen for them to have their summer camp live different for our student ministry, and they had a great time. Come on, students, where are you at today? Our leaders that went, you guys did an amazing job. Your giving helped send them to camp. They had tuition costs, et cetera, but you helped underwrite that. And lives will be different forever. How many of you know summer camp, man, for church camp? It is always life-changing and impactful, right, everybody? Uh, And plus, some of them had their head on a swivel trying to find their spouse, you know what I'm saying? But at 13, it's a little unlikely. But anyway, thank you for your generosity. And this is Serve Day week. We're going to be, we have multiple ways for you to be a blessing to your community and This weekend coming up is Serve Day, and I want to invite everybody in our church to participate in Serve Day. At all of our locations, we have our Red Serve shirts available, and so make sure that you grab one of those. And if you're not already a part of a project, create one, join your small group, reach out to a neighbor, do something to create a Serve Day project, or you can get on our website and uh, join a project that's already going on. We also have reprinted, this is a great week to grab these in our lobbies at all locations. We have these are just a, a something extra to let you know God loves you, and so do we. It's a LifePoint Church invite card. Actually, there's no invitation. It has our, our name and website. But if you're at a restaurant, a gas station, you just want to be a blessing to somebody, leave this with them. If you're a bad tipper, don't leave this with the, the <laughs> server. If you're a great tipper, slip them a little card and just say, hey, this is a little something to say. We love you or, or we're thinking of you. God loves you, and so do we. Uh, but we have these random act of kindness cards available for you at all of our locations. And when you came in today, you should have received a three by five index card. If you don't have that, you'll need it for the end of the message as we respond to the Lord today. How many of you enjoying this summer at LifePoint series so far? Anybody getting a lot out of it? <clears throat> I'm so thankful for our team of preachers. It's been great to listen every weekend. Pastor Mike Campbell, Pastor Jordan Smalley, and for the first time at LifePoint, Pastor Elmer Cañas preached last Sunday. Come on, that was great. We've got a great team of preachers and growing, developing preachers. We're learning. We meet every week as a team, uh, our preaching team, as we craft sermons together as a team. That, that always happens. And part of that is we want to launch campuses and churches in the future, and we need great speakers and communicators. I'm also excited you're going to get to hear from my wife soon in the next few weeks. And so great, great team of preachers here at LifePoint Church. Today I've titled the message, uh, Fresh Perspective. Everybody look at your neighbor and say, you need a fresh perspective. Now look at your other neighbor that you didn't choose and go, I guess I need a fresh perspective too. All right, good. You ever notice that level of judgment right there that you just exhibited? Yeah, who you chose versus. Hey, by the way, we got a great young preacher coming up in our student ministry named Jager. This kid slammed it. He did a sermon at camp. I'm going to get the video. It's going to go viral. This kid killed it. 
He's in the room, that's why I embarrassed him just now. But anyway, I titled the message Fresh Perspective. And honestly, my goal, my, I, I was on the schedule to preach today. We were in town this weekend. Uh, but I, I was going to pull out an old message and, and reuse something from like 10 years ago. But honestly, as I was just last week driving back uh, from, from one of our uh, family members' home, I really felt God impress a, a message that is for today and for our church. And it includes this giant display. It'll make sense in just a moment. Stay with me. But uh, today's message is brand new, and, and it's something that I really believe God wants for us, especially as we are preparing for the series that we're, uh, is ahead of us this fall. Uh, we're doing a series called What Does the Bible Say About? And we're going to deal with hot topics, trending topics, and we're going to go into the Scripture, and we're going to decide, does the Scripture get to lead our lives? And when we talk about a fresh perspective, you know, perspective is helpful. Perspectives that other people have is often helpful. Sometimes, People have great perspective. Sometimes people have terrible perspective. Have you been on social media lately? For example, when you have pain in your body. Now, the older I get, man, I don't know why, but my body just hurts every morning. Today, I got up to take a shower. It was 5.50 and my, popping, going on everywhere. I'm like, what in the world is going on? But how many of you know when, when you go see your doctor and she tells you what's really happening, it gives you a fresh perspective. It gives you a different view in order to, uh, to, to treat yourself or to treat the issue and to get better. When you're on the interstate and the, the traffic is at a dead stop and you're angry and frustrated and you're yelling at everyone from Montgomery County on the interstate, but then you creep up to that RV that had a terrible accident, it changes your perspective and you move from anger and frustration to hopefully compassion, prayer, Perspective, I, I, I looked a number of different definitions up, and I'm going to give you one for your notes here. It's on the screen. Perspective is like your point of view. It's your reasoned opinion. Usually, your perspective is based on your influences, your history, your personal biases. It could be how you were raised, what part of the country you grew up in, what country you grew up in, your political persuasions. Very, 100% of the time, your perspective it's your point of view, your reasoned opinion. And listen, just because it's your perspective doesn't always mean it's right. We should learn from the perspectives of others. We should also discern perspectives of others. In fact, if you listen to the debates and discussions going on right now, it's pretty obvious that people are fighting because they just have different worldviews and perspectives. How we see the world, how we see current issues, how we see what's trending. And the challenge with our current culture it used to be if you had a different perspective, you could have a dialogue about it. You could talk about it like, and be respectful. But now, if we have a different opinion, I'll cancel you. And that's just toxic and immature. So I want to encourage you, don't give in to that. We have this attitude now. The mob says, if you don't agree with me, then we can't be friends, and we're going to destroy your life. But as Christ followers, we're different. As Christ followers, we have a unique perspective. I want you to write this down. As we pursue Jesus, we learn his perspective. And because we follow Jesus, we adopt his perspective. There will be things that Jesus says about you and about our culture and about what's going on in our world that you may not have grown up thinking, you may not be currently living with. But as you grow closer to Jesus, and his word begins to inform you of his perspective. As Christ followers, we submit to his perspective. I'll be honest, that, as a pastor, I've been watching. I'm challenged by people who call themselves Christ followers but carry a very worldly perspective on certain things. We don't, 
we're unique in that because we say we follow Jesus, we then follow his perspective. It's a key part of belonging to the kingdom of God. Now listen, following the perspectives of Jesus, it's not always popular. It's very often countercultural. I know it's not popular. In fact, look at what's happening in our world right now. But following the perspective of Jesus is what got him arrested and beaten and crucified. He had a different perspective. And we follow that too. I want to challenge you this summer on any issue that's going on, trending, popular, whatever you're passionate about, and things that maybe you're just really stuck, you're staunch about. You will not move, you will not bend. You're living a certain lifestyle or politic or way. I want you to spend time this summer seeking God's perspective. Parenting, discipleship, discipline, money, church attendance, abortion, marriage, gender, sex and sexuality, addiction, Christian nationalism, love and forgiveness, submission to leadership, all of these topics. Seek God's perspective. Dig into God's word. Pray about it. Ask the Lord. Spend time with godly counsel to discern what's God's perspective. Recently, I've been asked a lot, and I've been told I need to put out a statement about the overturning of Roe v. Wade in our country. And man, poor Jordan Smalley was preaching that day when that happened that weekend. He's like, what do I say? I'll say it when I get back. And if, you're, if you'll be objective in listening, you'll see the clash is over perspective. How people view this debate and argument is a different perspective. But we have a perspective that's informed by the scripture. And you may not agree with it, but we can still submit to it. The perspective on abortion is really simple. God says, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. So the debate is like, is that baby a viable human? When does life happen at breath or blood? Or... Before I formed you in your mother's womb, God says, I knew you. And now, hang on, hang on, hang on. The method of conception does not determine God knowing that child. How many unplanned pregnancies in scripture? Jesus Moses, Samson. So it's perspective. Other people will say, well, then you don't care about women and women's rights. Of course we do. Of course. We love life. We love humans. We love people. No, like, so, so we have to come at that from a perspective influenced by Scripture. If you just come at it from a perspective of the culture or politics or your experience, here's another perspective. I've been in pastoral ministry for I don't know why I pulled, there's no mic on here. I don't know why. I'd, I've been pastoring over 20 years. I'll tell you another perspective I have. is walking with women on the backside of that decision. So before you start demonizing people, come be a pastor with me for a while. That, that whole issue is so hard. But we celebrate the opportunity for life for someone who God says, I knew you before God formed you in your mother's womb. And all these instances and cases, it muddies the fray on perspective. We believe, why would we partner with the Hope Pregnancy Center for a decade and a half if we didn't believe? And, and for every mother who's had to go through that tragic decision, we are with you, we love you, and we want to serve you. That's our perspective. So I had to speak to that because it happened... I had to speak to it because it happened while I was away, but we need to let our perspective 
be informed because we belong to God's kingdom. Let God give us his perspective. People say, what's your opinion about marriage? What's your opinion about gender? What's your opinion about politics? I don't really have an opinion. God has an opinion and I submit to that. Yeah, but that's not real life. That's not the life we're living. I know. That's why I keep preaching the gospel. (laughs) Not everybody lives by that Bible, pastor. I know. Job security. (laughs) That's why I keep preaching it. But who cares what my opinion is? What you need to say is, what does God say? And that's perspective. That's what we want, is a fresh perspective. As Christians, as Christ followers, we have a unique reality that we follow and submit to the perspective of God. It's not popular. It is not trendy. It got the disciples martyred, boiled in oil, beheaded, hung upside down on a cross in mockery, exiled to a lonely island. We follow the perspective of God. It may cost you. People may leave your church over this, Pastor. It's not my church. It's God's church. If you want to leave God's church because we follow God's perspective, that's not an indictment on us. It's an indictment on your perspective. Does that make sense? So what in the world does that have to do with this? Today is an episode of Man versus Food. We're going to butcher a deer today. I'm going to teach you how to field dress a deer. Okay, so all that's just an update on perspective. That's like an introduction, and I had to make a comment about what's going on in our culture. But let me, let me just say this. Uh, I want to spend the rest of my time today looking at a fresh perspective on one issue, and it's worship. Everybody say worship. worship. Nothing to do with what I've been talking about so far except the idea of perspective. And I felt impressed by God to write this message specifically as we prep for the fall. But I started thinking through all my preaching. I've been preaching almost 20 years. I've never preached a sermon on worship. I used to be a worship leader. I started in ministry singing and playing guitar terribly and as a worship leader. But I wanted to write a message on worship, and this is something God really showed me very clearly and gave me a vision for this, and you'll, make, you'll, you'll understand it in just a moment. You'll need your three-by-five card, but take notes on this. And the first thing I want you to understand is we have a perspective from God on worship is this. Number one, we are built to worship. We're wired for this. It's, 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 it's part of our makeup. It's part of how God designed us. For many of us, when I say worship, you're thinking music. You're thinking singing, the beginning part of a church service, or songs that you have on your Spotify playlist. Listen, worship music is a genre of music. It's a subcategory of Christian music. But please do not simply associate worship with singing. Because honestly, a lot of people that aren't good singers and don't feel comfortable, they feel like they can't worship because they're not musical. Worship music may be a part of worship, but it's a very small part of worship. So I want us to move away from music altogether for the rest of this talk. And I want to talk about what worship is. Author and composer Russ Michaels writes, our English word worship is actually built from two root words. One is the word worth or worth in old English, which means honor and worthiness. And sheep or shipe means to create. So worship, here's my definition for you, write it down. To worship something or someone is to create Notice your involvement in this. It's to create, it's to give an expression of honor, an attribute of worth to the object of your worship. It's to create an expression of honor. It's, it's, it's posture, it's attitude, it's so many things that we do to create an expression of honor. And we're wired for this. Another way to see worship is the word worthship. What you place value on, what you honor, what you, give, what you deem worthy is what you worship. Are you hearing me? 
More than a song we sing, worship is about showing honor. It's about giving due worth to something. It's where your devotions lie, your passions. All of you worship something. All of us do. We're wired for this. Now, in the scriptures, there are two things. There's a physical posture of worship, and we see throughout the Bible, and a lot of other religions still practice this. Christians, not so much, especially in the evangelical or like the more contemporary expressions. But first of all, the posture of worship is, is, is prostrating yourself. Anybody remember the old hymn, an angel's prostrate fall? Anybody ever miss sing that angel's prostate fall? All the, all the uh, doctors are like, that ain't right prostrate with an R means to lay down, to bow down. And, and there is a physical prostration. In fact, I want to encourage you this week in your prayer time, bow before the Lord, kneel down in your room, in your private space with God, lay down before the Lord and prostrate. But it's, it's not a required physical posture, but it is an absolute required heart posture that we say, God, I'm bowing down before you. I'm laying my life. And second is the mental and attitudinal reality that, that to be a worshiper of anything you, to show high honor and exceeding worship that you now bound yourself in service in some way. Think about it. Physically, we fall forward. We prostrate ourselves. Attitudinally, we submit ourselves in service and devotion and commitment to the thing, the one, the person, the idea that we worship. We're wired for this. If you don't know, let me help you. It doesn't matter if you're a believer in Jesus or not, humans love to worship. You were created for it. It's part of the Imago Dei, the image of God within you. But not all people worship Jesus. That's what we want. Can I hear an amen? amen? But people worship other people. People worship and show worth and honor and high esteem to leaders, to celebrities, to sports teams. They show it to parents. Some parents show all worth and honor to their children and their crazy sports schedules. To athletes, to villains, to concepts money, fame, and power. We have a knack for ascribing worship, for laying down our hearts or bowing down our lives towards various political ideologies or positions in culture to social ideas and constructs. We go nuts in an airport when we run into a famous person because at some level, we believe they deserve honor and worthship. We crowd them and we want their photo. We stand up too far sometimes for political and social ideologies that we've deemed the most worthy because we're wired to give worship. You ever been to a sports game? You ever been to a concert? I'm always amazed at the, the posture of music concerts now, especially around the stage. They're doing this. Yeah, it feels like what we do in church. Now, listen, I'm not dumping on any of those things. I like a good concert. I've recently gotten into 90s Randy Travis. <laughs> my poor kids, man, I've been playlisting the mess out of older country music. And my girls are like, oh, my gosh, you know, I'm going to love you forever, forever and ever. Amen. Right? Isn't that a great song? I look, hey, I look at my wife. I hold her hand. <laughs> as long as old men. Sit and talk about the weather as long as old women sit and talk about old men. That's what I'm talking about. I go, girl, I'm yours forever. Forever and ever, amen. My girls are barfing. I'm like, shut up. You wouldn't even be here. 
forever and ever, amen. I'm not dumping on any of those things. Listen to me. You can like sports. You can like your team. Come on, somebody. We got a, a member of our church just signed with the Pacers, everybody. Come on now. So proud of Terry. But I don't love any of that more than I love Jesus. That's the, pro that's the, that's the stress of this message. I don't love my political positions, my social positions, my issues. I don't love my passions more. And that is where the rub is. Because the right perspective is that my devotion to God and his kingdom and his ideologies and his word is higher than anything else I love. It's why I'll never skip a church service on a Sunday. It's why I'll never go skipping church on vacation. I'm never gonna opt for a football game over going to the house of God. You know why? Because my highest devotion and perspective of worship is the God of heaven who I love the most. I wanna challenge you with a perspective on worship for the Christian, the Christ follower, we would ascribe all worth and honor. This is why, hey, look, it don't matter who walks by me in the airport, I'm more in love with Jesus than I am that person. It doesn't matter what things are happening in DC, I'm more in love with the kingdom of heaven than the kingdom of the United States. It doesn't matter what laws change, what things get approved or overturned, or I'm gonna follow the, the lordship of Jesus on every matter in my life because I ascribe the highest worth, the highest honor, and the highest worship to God alone more than anything and instead of everything. Jesus said in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Man, I'm just so afraid that we've lost this. Some of us are more American than Christian. We're more Democrat or Republican than Christian. We're more whatever our identity is than Christ follower. Jesus said, seek First, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I want to be found as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's who I want you to see me as. Not my politic or my, my class or my race, my gender or my marital status. Seek first the kingdom of God. In Luke 14, Jesus blatantly challenges a crowd of probably thousands of people that are trailing Jesus. And he turns around to them and he says, if any of you want to be my followers, my disciples, you must hate everything else in the world. You got to hate, you got to put second your family of origin, your parents, your spouse, even your children and your own life. And then he said this, or else you're not really my disciple. Now listen, he was talking to a massive crowd of believers, but not followers. The perspective of worship for the Christ follower because I love him more than anything else. I love him first and more. Worship is about our posture and our attitude towards Christ overall. Colossians 3, Paul the apostle writes, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. How many of us over the last two years have obsessed about what's going on in this world? And we've lost our hunger and passion or we've feared, where's God in all this? Can I just, can I just encourage you for something? Be objective. We are living in a moment that's stressful and chaotic and crazy. But in the grand scheme of the human experience, God's not off his throne. You know what's awesome that's happening is God's saving kids at camp last week. God's wrecking their lives. God's changing people in other countries where we're sending missions, dollars, and teams. God's growing the church in untold thousands and thousands and thousands at a time in Iran, Iraq, China, communist North Korea. The church is on the move faster than ever. Set your mind on things above, 
not on things of this earth, perspective of worship. In Mark 12, Jesus said, you should love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. I love, hate this verse. Because sometimes I really love God with my soul and I really love God with my heart, but I don't really love him with my mind because I'm not checking my mind right. I'm not having good thoughts. I'm not watching right things. I'm not listening. You know what I'm saying? Like my, I'm obsessing over my 401k or I'm, I'm obsessing over what's happening in the culture and where do I protest and who can I cancel? Sometimes I go, God, you got my heart and soul, right? Come on, dun, 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 heart and soul song. Anyway, <laughs> but not my mind and my strength. Can't have my strength, God, I'm working for me. I work hard for the money. <laughs> Jesus said, you gotta love God with the whole person. It's a perspective on worship. Think about what we honor, what we worship, what we're the most, here's, here's the way to test that. What are you the most passionate and zealous about? And I'll, I'll tell you the answer for most humans, it's ourselves. Jesus said, you can't be God and me be God. God love me more than you. But this is how you made me, God. I was born this way. Get born again. This is how you made me. Well, I'm making you into a new creation. God, I was raised this way. You know where my parents, yeah, yeah, but I'm your daddy now. <laughs> I mean, just read the scripture. It is so full of all in. You know how we pray every week, God, I'm all in. That's because that's what the Bible teaches us. A life of worship is a life that's all in. It's not about singing on a Sunday. A fresh perspective of worship is an all-in life. Think about King David. There's a scene in, in 2 Samuel where the king of Israel killed Goliath, second king of Israel, followed Saul. <laughs> they are bringing the Ark of the Covenant into the city of David, which is the city next door to Jerusalem gates where David and his palace was. It's, I've been there. It's amazing. And <clears throat> it was just below the Temple Mound where Abraham built the temple to God, or excuse me, yeah, anyway, it's in your Bible. So he's there, and here's David in the city of David, and they bring the Ark of the Covenant. Now, normally a king is refined, leading processional with the priests and prophets behind him, not this day. David goes bananas. They're bringing the Ark of the Covenant, which is the presence, the tangible presence of God. David's out there jumping and leaping. He's, you know, Irish dancing, jigging. I don't know what he's doing. And it says he's spinning around and leaping before the presence of God. His wife, named Michael, which is also a man's name, she is watching this and gets so angry at David. She, she says, you embarrassment to the throne. How dare you dance and be so unrefined? He, in one translation, she says, you're being so undignified. Can you imagine the queen of England, 97 years old, walking to Buckingham Palace with the priests of the Anglican church behind her? You know, and she's up there going, yeah, the Lord is in the house. Woo -woo -woo. And she's spinning around in her robes, rising. Keep your robe down, lady. You know what I'm saying? Like David goes nuts for the presence of God. He even embarrassed his throne and his wife corrects him. She goes, don't you ever do that, you're a king. And he goes, it was before God. I was dancing before the Lord, the Lord who chose me above your daddy 
and above all of his house. And he appointed me as prince over Israel, the people of God. And he said, I will celebrate before the Lord and I will make myself even more contemptible than this. I love David's attitude. He's like, you can't shun me. Are you kidding me? You're going to die one day. He's not. I love God so much. I live my life in worship to the Lord. Man, I feel like Wayne Francis up here <laughs> dancing. Whew. Shout out to Pastor Wayne. Listen, God made us to worship. The perspective is, are your passions and zeals and devotions rightly directed or not? So what about this? What about having an altered perspective on worship? Now, alter is the second part of your message. Alter, there's two spellings of the word alter. A-L-T-E-R is a verb to change. A-L-T-A-R is a noun. We picked up this altar at Lowe's. <laughs> but the altar in the old covenant was the place of worship. Bear with me, I'm not usually an illustration preacher, but, but I want you to have a fresh perspective on worship. And I want you to have this simple idea, it's really life-changing, honestly, this is the visual that God really showed me clearly when I was praying about preaching today and the message was this illustration. So bear with me, and if you don't like it, blame the Lord. Throughout the Old Testament, so the Old Testament is a testament, a story, a telling of God's people under the Old Covenant. And the pattern of worship in the Old Covenant for the Jewish people was always including an altar. It was a physical altar built as a sturdy table or a platform, often formed out of stones, put as a place of worship, and it, it was meant to be your place of connection, communion with God. Usually the locations are where God did something significant, like where Gideon was called in the threshing floor or where Abraham met with the Lord after crossing the river, Joshua set up an altar. Jack Hayford says, altars are a memorial of the places where God meets us. Now in the old covenant, altars were pretty prominent. In pagan religions today and non-Christian religions today, altars are still a significant part. But the place of worship was the altar and it always included a few elements. The elements included some sort of sacrifice. And for the Jewish people, the old covenant of God's people, never was there human sacrifice, never. That is one distinct difference in the tradition uh, that we follow. There was never human sacrifice. There was always animal sacrifice. And that sacrifice meant that there was a death. So there was always sacrifice and it always required death. Usually that death was to pay for your sin. The old covenant required that there had to be a shedding of blood in order to forgive sin. In the old covenant, you didn't just say, I'm sorry, my bad. You had to pay for it with the shedding of blood. And you didn't bring your worst animal. You didn't bring that goat with a crooked eye and half a leg missing and gang, gangrene on the butt. You know what I'm saying? Like, you brought the best goat. You brought the best and sacrificed it on an altar. Now listen, it had sacrifice. The altar had death. The altar was a place of covenant and commitment with God. It's where you say, God, I'm, I'm striking a new covenant with you, between you and me, that I'm going to live with you, I'm all in with you, and this sign of sacrifice, it was costly, it required something, and here's the other piece, it was pleasing to God. That was pleasing to God. It was the old covenant set up. And some people today want to crack on that and be like, what, how barbaric, you're not God. So you don't get to determine, determine what pleases God. Now, I gotta, I gotta say, let me just give you these again. There's a place of sacrifice, required death, includes covenant commitment, 
It became pleasing to God, and it was costly. Now, I just got to pause and give you a little of my theological treatment on this here. This was a sacrificial system of the old covenant. Jesus came to establish the new covenant. In fact, listen to me. The book of Hebrews says, in establishing a new covenant, Jesus made the old covenant obsolete. So I just want to be very clear. You don't need to go build this in your backyard. You don't need to have an altar. I'm going to use this as a metaphor and an illustration. Let me show you the last altar that God ever was pleased by. It was the altar of the cross of Calvary. This is the final altar. Jesus was God and he went and died. He was the sacrifice. It included commitment and it pleases God. This alone pleases God for our salvation, our justification, our renewal. Somebody say praise the Lord. It was costly. It cost God himself, his life on the cross out of love for us, he was crucified to pay the highest price for sin, and it was sacrificial. It was death of Jesus. It included covenant and promise forever, and we don't have to recreate the cross. We don't need a plan B cross. We don't need a second cross. We go back to the cross. That is the final altar. Okay, I need to get that theology out of the way. So again, don't go build this in your backyard. I just want to use it as an illustration of what altered living looks like, okay? And because Jesus did that, you can now do this from a place of your heart, from a place of who you are all the time. See, as Christ followers, we live every day, listen to me, we live every day as an altar of worship. Because we have a relationship with God, We live every day with a posture and an attitude that says, Lord, my heart is bowed to you. I am a sacrificial gift to you. All of my life I lay into your hands because you are the highest object of my affection and worship. It's as if we're living sacrificially all the time. That our living for God doesn't require the death of Jesus again or an animal, but it is a death to ourselves. It's a death to our flesh. It's why Jesus said, if you don't love me first, you're not following me. It's a death to our desires, our dreams, our ambitions, our stuff. So bear with me as I illustrate this. I want to show you some of the things that maybe we would put on the altar. You know, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart is. Pastor Willie reminded me of that in this sermon. So we got you a treasure chest of some things that maybe need to lay on the altar before the Lord. I want you to think about everything you love and you're passionate about. All your perspectives, your beliefs, your ideologies, your relationships, your habits, hangups, your profession, your success, everything about your life. And let's see if we're willing to offer that to the Lord sacrificially to be pleasing to him as we worship. Let me start with our family. This is clearly not my family because there are boys in the picture. So stock photo family here. For many of us, this is like coup de gras, man. This is the height of human life. Can't wait to get married, settle down, have a family. That's not everybody's story. Some of us are single, single again, single parenting, married again. Whatever your family dynamic is, this represents that. Can we lay this in the hands of the Lord? Say, God, you've given me these children, and I give my parenting to you as an expression of my love for you. God, the way I discipline them, the way I provide for them, the way I work hard for them, the way I cover them as a father, 
as a mother, may it be an expression of my worship to you, God. I lay my family. Now, it's not like Abraham laying his son on an altar. That altar's dead. You don't have to sacrifice your children. Some of you just got real excited and you need prayer. (laughs) The point is, hey, and here's why this is important. I pastored long enough and I live in America and I work with a bunch of suburban people. Some of us idolize and worship our children and our families way too much. You need to hand that to the Lord. God, I'm gonna parent, we're gonna focus. That's for me and my house. We're gonna serve the Lord. Well, all the neighbors are acting a fool, not my house. All my kids' friends have blank, 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 blank. Yeah, but we, we got a different perspective. This house, we're going to serve Jesus. What are y'all doing getting up every Sunday? We serve in our church, man. We go to church. Y'all want to come to a cookout? Not, to, not if it's after three. <laughs> what about this other area? Of, how about your calendar? Whoo, Lord Jesus, help us, God. How many of you know time is one of the commodities? Everyone gets an equal measure. No one gets repeats. No one gets more or less. But this is one of the greatest things we need to lay before the Lord. God, I'm going to seek first. I'm going to put you first. I'm going to trust the timing of the Lord. I'm going to let your plans be the plans I submit to. I'm not going to try to hustle and grind my way into promotion. I'm going to trust that promotion comes not from the east or west, but from the Lord. God, I'm going to give you my best, not my last. I'm going to serve on a serve day. I'm going to go to a small group. I'm going to be a blessing to my neighbor. I'm going to take a little longer at that gas station just to be a blessing to that mom over there, to that dad over there. God, you, my calendar is your calendar. What appointments do you need me to take, Lord? What if we just put it on the altar before the Lord and say, God, as an expression of my love and worship and devotion to you, my calendar is yours. Where I spend my life, how I spend my days. Here's one for you. How about this? I got your uh, finances. All them bills, just racks and racks. Some of us like this one better. Whatever your sitch, I ain't, I ain't shaming. Man, some of us, this is our greatest idol. Jesus said, nothing will compete for your devotion to me like this right here. He said, you can't love us both. You're going to love money or you're going to love me. So the way to make sure you do that right is just put this right here. God, I trust you with my finances. I'm going to put you first. I'm going to tithe. I'm going to give. I'm not going to stress. I'm going to be a generous person. I'm going to save for my future because the wise person saves. And I'm going to be a good steward of everything you've given me. I'm not going to hoard it up and think it's mine. I'm going to put this on the altar as an, and as an expression of worship. My money looks like you are the God of my house. Are y'all hearing me so far? What if we just put our finances on the altar? Here's one for you. This is real popular. Um, it's how we see ourselves or our identity. I'm a black man. I'm a white man. I'm native. I'm middle class. I'm upper class. I'm Republican. I'm de- Democrat. I'm heterosexual. I'm homosexual. I'm from the South. I'm from Rwanda. I'm a son of God. I'm a child of the king. Right now, there's such an obsession over identity. Now we're making you identify us the way we're demanding to be identified. But for the Christ follower, we're unique. 
I follow Christ. If you've seen me, you've seen the Lord. I am hidden in God through Christ. I am dead to myself and alive in him. My identity in this world is fleeting. I'm a passerby. I'm an alien. I lay my identity markers and needs and demands on the altar with God. And I say, Lord, I want to be found in you, not found in me or what culture is telling me I must be. This obsession of identity is so toxic. And it needs to rest on the altar of God. Every one of us, listen, I don't care your race, gender, nationality, your dispositions, your upbringing. If you've said yes to Jesus, you and I are brothers and sisters. You and I are sons and daughters. This one's fun. Secrets. I got a lot. Sin, the things I do when my wife's not around, my husband's not close, what I do on my computer, what I do with money, who I look at in the grocery store, where I go on the weekends when I say I'm going to do this, my heart. James says, no one sins unless they first desire that thing. You ever notice you never sin with stuff you hate? Like, I'm never tempted to buy a cat. <laughs> never. It's not a temptation. It is a sin in my life. Many of us go, I'm going to guard this. I'm going to hold this. I don't need to let anybody in. But the, the scripture says that we lay ourselves bare before the Lord. James says, confess your faults one to another so that you may be healed. And a life on the altar with your secrets is why small groups matter and being in church matters and being honest matters. How about your relationships? Intimate or non-intimate, it doesn't matter. Shout out to Elmer for the origami heart. <laughs> Are your relationships on the altar? Are they pleasing to God? Some of us have friendships we've just been carrying around for so long. God's like, why are you friends with that person? They do nothing to build you. But I've been friends with them since seventh grade. What else do you do since seventh grade? Still pick your nose like a little brat? You know, like, <laughs> you still not take showers every three days? Like, what else do you not? When I was a child, I thought like a child. When I became a man, I grew up. I got some godly people in my life. How about your marriage? How about your sexual relationships? You're single. You're in a sexual relationship. Let's put that on the altar. And then the, the final one I want to show you, and then we're going to close. You got to get your three-by-five card out, everybody. This is the hard one for everybody. <clears throat> Who's nervous? This thing's about to fall over. <laughs> hey, look at me. Not the screen, unless you're at Austin P or online. This is the Christian life. That we live dead every day. Look at Paul's writing to the Romans. Chapter 12, verse 1. He writes to a bunch of pagans who understood temple worship and sacrifice. He said, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God. Like he's begging them as a pastor. 
He goes, present your bodies. Look at this, as a living sacrifice. That's an oxymoron, it doesn't, that's impossible. He said, you present yourself, all of you, put your whole self while living as dead. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Look at this, holy and pleasing to God. Watch, this is your spiritual worship. This is the Christian life, that we live dead to self and alive to him. Some of us are like, okay, fine, I'll put my calendar on that altar. If you just put you on here, all this comes with you. Paul says in Galatians that I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer me who lives. It's Christ living through me. Your gender issues, your sexuality issues, your money issues, your political issues, let all of that die as you come alive in Christ. Here's the great irony of the kingdom of heaven. You ready? In order to truly live, you must die. (laughs) In order to truly live, you must die every day. This is the prayer. God, I offer myself as an offering, a sacrificial offering. This day is yours. My ambition is yours. Everything I say, may it be pleasing to you, oh God. Every relationship I'm in today, God, how I see myself today, my secrets and my shame, my family, it's all a gift to you today. God, I'm living sacrificially with you as God on the throne over everything. This day is yours. This life is yours. My ambition is yours. My dreams are yours. I have been hidden in Christ because of his resurrection. I am alive only when I die every day unto God. Here's the other irony. The only way to find freedom is to become a slave to Jesus. This is the Christian life. This is the image God gave me when he said to preach this sermon. This is the way we are to live every day. Please stop trying to win worldly battles. Let's live as unto Jesus. You may have to die to some things. You might need to break up with some people. You might need to shift your budget around. Let's start here. Live dead. I'm all in. I appeal to you, life point, as your pastor, by the mercies of God, would you present your whole self, all of you, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. This is a life of worship. On your card, I want you to take just a moment I want you to write areas in your life that you need to place on the altar before the Lord. Some of you are mad about this sermon. Some of you are like, man, I don't even know what to say. Well, you can start with my whole self. Just start there. Then maybe you need to put your identity on this altar. Maybe you need to put your finances on the altar. Maybe you need to put your politics on the altar. Maybe your sin, your fear, some forgiveness on the altar of God today. But for the Christ follower, you're gonna have to put your whole self on this altar. The reason I have it so high is I don't want my feet touching the ground giving me excuse to run off. I'd sit cross-legged, but I'm afraid I'd break something. I want you to write them down. This is your devotional card for the rest of the year. 
And I want to lead us in a chorus while you're sitting there. You don't even have to sing it with me. This is how we're closing. And after I sing, we'll hand it off to our campus pastors in response and prayer. And we're going to pray an all-in prayer and, and our campus pastors will lead us in that. We sing a song here called, Oh, Come to the Altar. The Father's arms are open wide. And I remember when that song came out, I was like, we ain't singing that song here. I don't even believe in altars. That's Old Covenant. And that's why you don't have altar calls here, right? Like we just, we pray and we end. Here's the deal. Your life is an altar to God every day. So when we sing, oh, come to the altar, it's come to Jesus. His arms are open wide. Write down the areas of your life that you're going to give and put on the altar this year. Some of you can do it today. Some of you is going to take you to the end of the year. Let's write them down. Our prayer team will be up here when I get done singing. And as you write that, just bow your head, bow your heart as you finish that. And just make some prayer commitments to God right now. Write those areas down. Put yourself on the card. This is your devotional card to be in front of you every day this year. And let's come to Jesus.